Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody. Welcome back, uh, some first time back folks. And great to see kids here in the service. There's just a, a life to that. Actually, uh, actually, for everybody, including the kids, uh, on the count of three, I want you to say Melchizedek. And if you're online, on the count of three, you type Melchizedek as fast as you can. One, two, three. Melchizedek. Melchizedek. It's kind of fun to say. I'm actually curious what the autocorrect looks like on that online. But the, um, it has a ring to it. Chapter 7 of Hebrews are kind of skipping over. The whole chapter is all about Melchizedek, who's sort of this um, kind of a shadowy, uh, not a re- kind of an obscure uh, person in the Bible from, that we meet in, in the time of Abraham's life uh, back in the book of Genesis. Uh, but the whole, uh, we're kind of skipping over it, because in verse 1 here, the author says, hey, the main point of what we're saying here, they, they give us the main point. So it kind of sums it up. Basically, the main point is that Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the greatest, ultimate high priest. And so chapter 7 is a comparison between Jesus and the Old Testament priests and how he's more like Melchizedek, than he, this priest, than he was like these uh, other uh, Old Testament priests under the law, the Levitical priests. So in the Old Testament, there was many, many priests. And in, in, the, in this new day, in the New Testament, Jesus is one. He's one priest. In the Old Testament, those priests died, so their ministry was very temporary. Jesus lives forever. In, in the Old Testament, the priests had to offer sacrifices for their own sins and the sins of the people. In Jesus, uh, Jesus is sinless. He's innocent. He is perfect. He does not have to offer for his own sin because he's sinless. In the Old Testament, the priests had to day after day offer these sacrifices. Jesus offers once for all the sacrifice. The Old Testament priests always at work. There was no chairs for the priests to sit in in the temple. Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father and he rests because his work is complete. It is finished. And those Old Testament priests, they all offered animal sacrifice. Jesus Christ offered his own body and his own blood for the sins of the world. Jesus, in his role is, as a priest, is the ultimate high priest. And he's a priest that ushers in a new deal, a new covenant, a new way that we stand before God, a new way that we relate to God. And there is a, so there is an old law that's being replaced by this new law, and the new one is better. The new one is way better, and so you don't want to slip back into the old way. The old way is just a shadow. The old way was just an image of of a copy of what is in heaven, but now we have the real thing. Picture it like this. And again, Veterans Day coming up this week, so this is a good image for us. Picture a a young bride, and she's married to a soldier, and he gets deployed uh, to a foreign country, and she's home, and she's alone. But she has a, her favorite picture of her husband. And she, and even as far away as he is, she, she knows she looks at that picture, and she, she stares at it, and she, uh, even sometimes she'll even talk, kind of talk to it. And she really enjoys this photo of the soldier who's away. And, and this little routine of, of looking at the photo becomes really precious to her. And then one day... She's, ha- she's having a moment with this photo, and she hears, Honey, I'm home! And the door opens, 
And she says, shh, shh, I'm enjoying my time with the photo. You would, that's ridiculous. You, the, the real thing is here, the, 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 in flesh and blood, and, and you want to just keep staring at a, at a photograph. Here, the old way is just a shadow, it's just a picture. The real thing has come, and we, we want to enter into this new deal. The old deal had shortcomings. The, the old way that God related to the people. What was the problem with the old covenant? Verse 7 says, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. The fault of the first covenant was not with God, or not with the deal at all. The fault was with humans. The fault was the sinful human heart. Um, verse 9 says, They did not remain faithful to my covenant. The problem is God's law, which was beautiful and good, did not change the human heart. That laws are good at compelling people to do things, but laws don't ultimately change the human heart. And under the new deal, in the new covenant, you get a new heart. And if you've come here this morning and your heart before the Lord is perfectly clear and your heart is is perfectly formed, then you can tune out the rest of this message. But if you have come here and you know that God needs to do work on your heart, that you need him to develop that new heart in you, then this is, this is a message for us today. Let us, let us pray. Father, we admit, we sit here, we admit our, our sin, that we, although many of us have put our faith in you and trust you for our salvation, we wrestle with hearts that are not pure, that don't always desire what is good and what honors you, Lord. We pray that we might even leave here today changed because you can do your good work on our hearts, even as we sit here in this place and in the various places we watch this service, Lord, that you are there. So we just invite you as as a merciful God, as a healer God, to do your work on our hearts in this time as we focus on your word. We pray it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I want to consider this new covenant and this new law that, that, that changes our hearts and what it does to our hearts. But before I do that, I want to answer the question, you know, why is this new covenant so much better and superior than the old? Because verse 6 says the new covenant is superior to the old. Why is it so superior? Two things. One is that it's, it's superior because in the new covenant, you play no role in it. You play no role in securing your salvation. In the new covenant, Jesus fulfills everything for you. All the obligations of this covenant, every aspect of this law is fulfilled on your behalf. And you just accept that by faith. That's, that's a lot better. At the center of our Christian faith is this cross. And on that cross, Jesus accomplished something that you could never accomplish, that I could never accomplish. He paid for the sins of the world. And he died. But he rose victorious from death to new life, defeating even death itself, something we could never do. That is superior. That is good news. Secondly, the new covenant is superior because it is eternal and spiritual. It is not material and temporal. It's not based on our situation. 
In the Old Covenant, remember, God promised them land, physical land, that they were a nation, a, a geopolitical nation, and that they had the blessings of material blessings. In the New Covenant, it's spiritual blessings. We are a spiritual nation, and God is, is pouring out his spirit, and the fruit and the blessings of that spirit live in us regardless of our circumstances, regardless of your wealth, regardless of of how long we, we live on this earth or where you live on this earth or anything about your background, that you can experience the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, kindness, all of the fruit of the Spirit that we can live, and it's, it's not based on material situation. That is superior. And it's, it's superior because it's about our heart. Having a heart for God. And three things that describe this new heart. They all come from this passage. And this passage quotes Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31. This is the longest quote of an Old Testament passage in the New Testament. So a lot of what was read for us was really just straight from Jeremiah 31. And the author of Hebrews says this exactly describes what Jesus has done. That promise 700 years ago has now been fulfilled and we're living into it. So three, uh, three things that describe this new heart that we get. The first is that it is a heart for God's way. Verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. So in the old covenant, God wrote his law, the finger of God on a tablet of stone writes the law. And in the New Covenant, God takes his finger and he writes his law on your heart. The law is no longer just on the outside. It's not just a written code that becomes a burden to me. It's something on the inside that propels me forward. This fall I went hiking. A friend who lives in Virginia was coming to New England and we wanted to spend some time together. We said, well, you know, there's all these restrictions and we need something maybe outdoors and distance. Let's go for a hike. I said, okay, let's go for a hike. And we, we, got the, we took the, carved out a day to go for a hike. I said, okay, where are we going to go hiking? He said, we're going to hike Mount Washington. I said, that's the biggest one. That's really have not been hiking a lot this summer. And, and so uh, my wife and children and I, uh, we said okay to this journey and man, I was sore for two weeks after that, and it was uh, quite a journey. But when you hike, at the, base of, at the base of the mountain, the pack is very heavy because we had to carry a lot of water. And that water was a huge burden when it's on the outside and on the pack. But as you hike, you drink it, and it keeps you refreshed, and it keeps you hydrated that you can sustain the journey. And that's like God's law. On the outside, it's very much like a burden. But when it's on the inside, flowing within us, it gives us life. It propels us to good things. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my spirit is going to lead you to all truth. That with his spirit inside of us, changing our heart, it is guiding us towards things that are good, that desire God's way. But we can slip back into the old way. Where my desire does not align with God's desires. Galatians chapter 5 puts it this way. says, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. 
in the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. The, there's this inner conflict of this new heart, but there's this old way that's there, and, and we are putting it off. And, and really the solution here for us to, to live into that new heart that God is, is forming in us is to nurture those things that nurture the Spirit of God. Those things that you do to nurture your spiritual life, your, your prayer and meditation on Scripture and, the, and gathering for worship and all the ways that we nurture the inner life helps develop that heart so that the old way is dying and the new thing is being born. You know, some people say, you know, my faith could really use a shot in the arm. Or I come to church, it's like a shot in the arm. Shots hurt. It comes from the outside. It has to pierce through your skin. And it, 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 it's, it's not a good image. Jesus said, if you have my spirit in you, it's, it's like water flowing out from your guts into you. It's, 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 it, it's his spirit at work within us bringing about a new way. That's more what we need. The new covenant gives us this new heart that is a heart for God's way. Secondly, the new covenant gives us a new heart that is a heart that knows that I am his and he is mine. Again, verse 10 says, I will be their God and they will be my people. This is all about our identity as God's people, that we are children of God. pastor once said, the best way to make someone keep a law is to make him love the lawgiver. That if I know that I am a beloved possession of God, I love the lawgiver and I desire to, to live with a heart that, that pleases him. I am a beloved possession of God. It's all about identity and belonging. I love working with uh, teenagers, with youth. I was a youth pastor for a number of years, and I still uh, volunteer in the youth ministry at the church, and I just love working with these students to help them form their identity in Christ. Because I remember my teenage years, and they weren't good years. They were, they were middle school. I wouldn't relive middle school. That Constantly asking myself questions about, you know, do I fit in? Am I good enough? Do I, do I stand out? Or actually, I don't want to stand out, but I kind of do want to stand out. Just, what is safe? And just all these questions of identity. Actually, adults, we ask those same questions too. Am I, have I done enough? Is my life good enough? Am I acceptable to my neighbors, and to my family, and to my spouse? And have I, am I good enough? Do I fit in? And when we root our identity that I am God's treasured possession, that he is my God and I am his person. I know that my life is defined not by my successes or failures, but I am defined by God's choosing. I'm defined by God's good pleasure to accept me, not because I've earned it, but because Christ earned it for me. This is perhaps one of my, of all the promises in Scripture, this might be my favorite promise. Think about this. God can say, I will be their father. God can say, I will be their shepherd. 
God can say, I will be your wisdom. I will be your rock. I will be your true home. Those are all amazing images, and those are all true images. But here, God says, I will be their God. That means he is supreme, that he is in complete control, that he is sovereign over me, his child. And in, as I stand before God, I am accepted and not rejected. So we pray that promise back to God. God, as I pray to you, you are my God. Oh God, you are my God. I will praise you. I will live for you. This new covenant gives us a new heart that is confident that I am his and that he is mine. Thirdly, the new covenant gives us a new heart that is a heart that rests in the forgiveness of God. Verse 12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In any relationship, difficult relationships or tough relationships, things that make relationships tough is when you don't know where you stand. You know, I don't know where I stand with my boss. It's always unclear. Or I don't know where I stand with my sibling or whatever the relationship is. With God, we always know where we stand that we are forgiven and free, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that no sin can separate you from the love of God, that my past does not control my future. And you could say, Pastor, you don't know my past. You don't know my sins. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the terrible thoughts I've had. And I tell you that it, your, God's love for you, it's not dependent on your obedience to him. It's dependent on his love for you and how complete Jesus' forgiveness is towards you how complete his work on the cross was. You could, have never, you could have never earned it back. So therefore, your past does not control your future. You are free. You are not depending on your own efforts, but on his grace. You're not depending on your obedience, but on his love. And don't you just love the fact that we are so forgiven and free? How freeing is that? That every morning you can get up and, and you can claim God's grace and his mercy towards you, new every morning. The new covenant gives you a new heart. It's a heart that desires God's way. It's a heart that knows that I am his and he is mine, and it is a heart that rests in the forgiveness of God. I want to leave you with a story um, that was spoken by uh, famous pastor Charles Spurgeon. He was a uh, uh, late 19th century and he was, he was teaching this very passage of Scripture, and he told a story about a, his walking stick. And I came across this story, and it's too good not to share, so I'm just going to read it in his, his words. Because why do all the good stories have to stay in the 1800s? So this one's for us today. He said, Spurgeon said this. He said, Some years ago, my esteemed brother, Mr. John B. Goff, out of his great love for me, sent me a very valuable walking stick. It must have cost him a large sum of money, for it was made of ebony, and it had a gold head to it with pieces of Californian quartz curiously worked into the head of the stick. I cannot say it was of much practical use to me, but I still valued it as a present from Mr. Goff. One night, a thief got into my house, stole my walking stick, and the man, of course, broke the stick took off the gold from the head. 
He brought it down to a pawnbroker's not far from here. He had hammered and battered it as much as he could. But when the pawnbroker looked carefully at it, he saw the letters S-P-U-R-G-E-O-N, Spurgeon. Oh, he said to the man, you wait here a bit. Which, of course, uh, was just what the thief did not do. So I got my gold back again, because my name was on it. Though the man hammered it, there was my name. And the gold was bound to come back to me, and so it did. Now, when the Lord once writes his name on your heart, he writes his law within you. And though the devil may batter you, God will claim you as his own. Temptation and sin may assail you, but the law of God is in your heart. You shall not give way to sin. You shall resist it. You shall be preserved. You shall be kept. For you are the Lord's. Let us pray. Father, you have claimed us as your own. You have written your name. You have written your law on our hearts. You have so completely forgiven and freed us. Father, we do pray that you continue to just form our hearts to desire what you desire. Lord, we desire things that are not good, Lord. We have thoughts that are so impure. But we we claim your forgiveness based on Jesus. Continue to, to, to mold us, Lord. Continue to shape us, for we are your people, and you are our God. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.